You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Laura Geisert and Adrian Frost. This month, we're reading Smart But Scattered by Peg Dawson and Richard Guare. Let's get into it. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Laura. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club podcast. We are covering Smart But Scattered, and this is our final episode. We're going to be discussing the last three chapters of the book and then going through key takeaways, what we're going to be using moving forward with our speech therapy kids or in the classroom. So chapter 22 is called When What You Do Is Not Enough. And some children are just going to have such significant executive skill weaknesses that the interventions that you implement at home just won't be enough. They recommend using some of the troubleshooting advice that was provided throughout the book and asking yourself these questions. What is the specific problem you've attempted to tackle? So make sure you were really specific so you can judge success and failure. If you used words like always, never, everything all the time. Your statement of the problem was probably too general. So make sure you've specified what, when, and where to help define the problem. So pick a specific starting point. So even if the problem occurs in many environments, you're going to just pick one to begin. So if it's something you could tackle at home, start there and then maybe move to the school. Second, what is your standard for judging that the problem has improved and what behavior can you live with? So your goal for a child might be nearly impossible and you need to be realistic in your expectations for improvement. So you'll list two or three specific situations where the problem behavior occurs and describe how you want things to go or what you want your child to do. So if a child is constantly throwing tantrums, you might accept just that they voice displeasure but don't throw a full-blown tantrum when they're unhappy with something. So it doesn't have to be that the kid is happy and cheerful when things don't go their way, but maybe just saying, I don't like this is better than a meltdown. (laughs) Start with small improvements and build on those. Use baby steps. Another question to ask yourself, are your expectations realistic given the age, current skills, and amount of effort needed on the part of the child? Also ask what environmental supports have you put in place? So are you really setting the child up for success? What specific skill are you trying to teach and who is responsible for teaching the skill? What's the procedure and how often is it done or practiced? You know, many important behaviors require practice over a long period of time. And what incentives are you using to motivate the child? And they say this is often the missing step. Maybe you didn't think that you needed to offer a prize or reward for the behavior, but that might be what this child needs, at least in the beginning. The authors just say these aren't bribes. They are used to get the child motivated and then can be faded when natural incentives like praise are all the child needs. So if you feel like you've answered all these questions and all issues are resolved, consider these factors. Consider the consistency with which the plan has been followed, because if it was just intermittent, it will probably fail. And sometimes things happen like you're not being consistent. The child's behavior doesn't change. So then you kind of abandon the plan. You give up on it because there's not incentive for you as the adult. Keep plans simple so they can fit within the timeframes you have available That way you can be consistent with applying them. Make sure the adults involved, like spouses, teachers, other adults who are responsible are consistent also. So if you've gotten that coach from school, make sure that they're really sticking to the plan (laughs) and that there's good communication between all the adults, not just through the child. We've 
said before, they're not the most reliable witnesses. Consider the time that the plan has been in place. So make sure to give a plan at least 14 to 21 days. Many will give up after four or five days. So don't give up too quickly. And also, if you do see immediate improvement, don't start to slack off. And this is something I know I always bring up preschool stuttering, but it's something we see with the Lidcom program where you see this really, really immediate improvement and the parents become just so relieved yeah. and the the fluency is at such a higher level than it was when they started that it stops being quite as important to them so they're not doing their daily sessions and then we see kind of a plateau yeah. for a while so right it is hard to follow through all the way until you get the behavior right where you want it but it's worth it and they say parents can use a five-point scale at the end of a day to assess how well they stuck to the plan, which I like. If kids just won't do the plan, it's not because they're lazy. Sometimes they get discouraged. They doubt their abilities. They feel like it's really punishing to try and fail at something. Or they just prefer to do fun stuff instead of tedious or difficult tasks. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. So make sure you're modifying the task, teaching the steps really well, supervising and building in incentives to make things worth their while. If you've tried everything, but the weaknesses are just too difficult to overcome, seek professional help from a clinician, go to someone who uses a behavioral approach and parent training, because you'll really benefit from learning specific skills and strategies for handling problems. Then they go into formal testing for these types of skills. And these authors are not big advocates of testing for executive skills weaknesses, but they do say get a child tested if they may need additional support in school, there might be learning problems like a learning disability or attention disorder, or if you think there could be another explanation for the behavior that may suggest different treatment options. So psychological disorders like bipolar or anxiety, depression, OCD, those can all have an impact on executive skills. They do address medication. So they say it could improve executive functioning, but many medications for say ADD or ADHD, were not designed specifically for that purpose. And most parents want to try non-medical interventions first, and the authors support that approach because they say the effectiveness of a medication can be enhanced when it's combined with behavioral or psychosocial interventions. Some warning signs in children with ADHD that medication may be warranted are when it's having an impact on the child's ability to make or keep friends, when it begins to affect their self-esteem, when it interferes directly with the child's ability to learn, usually in children who have difficulty slowing down when tasks require it for success, or they can't handle multi-step problems because they lack the capacity to think of the steps involved. And when the amount of effort required by the child to control distractibility, impulsivity, or motor activity is great enough to affect overall level of emotional adjustment. So for some kids, it's just too hard to put forth that effort to stay in control. So that's it. That's kind of a little troubleshooting chapter. Just reminding you that if you made it through these, what, 300 pages of, <laughs> of textbook and you've tried all the strategies and it's just not working, go through some of those and figure out where you might have gone wrong or consider other options. Moving on to chapter 23, I'm not going to go into too much detail. This is working with the school. If you're a school SLP, this is information that you know, but for some of us, we need a reminder because this is really thinking about things from a parent's perspective. And I think sometimes that helps us as teachers and SLPs when we think of things 
from a different viewpoint. So for genuine improvement to occur in a child, everybody has to work harder, teachers, parents, and students. So they're acknowledging what we've been saying jokingly, that you're really asking a teacher to work a lot harder to help your child. But, you know, it helps if you're showing what you're doing at home and and that you're putting in so much effort, then they'll put in more effort too. Tension, conflict, and unhappiness are likely to occur if any one of the three parties are not pulling their weight. So it's always best to use a non-adversarial approach rather than blaming or accusing when you work with teachers. And I would say this goes for both sides. (laughs) Lay out the problem and let the teacher know what you're able to do to help, what the child will do, and then ask the teacher on advice on what else would help. And I would just say for us as teachers or SLPs, it goes the same way. Let the parents know the problem we're seeing at school, what we're doing to help, what the parent can be doing at home. So everyone's on board with the plan. In a previous episode, Adrian, I think you said you had a student that that really worked well with where you and the teacher were sending home messaging the mom. Yeah. And yeah. the mom was rewarding at home based on yeah. reports about school. Yeah. That's yeah. Helpful. Obviously, when everyone's working together, it's a better outcome for everyone. So then they go through some common questions like an FAQ. <laughs> and it's uh, the first one is what to do when teachers clearly think medication is the answer. And I have this in all caps. Medication should never be a school decision. And I think just as someone who has people I love, whose parents have been told by the school not so <laughs> nicely to put their kids on medication, just mm. watch it, guys. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Overstepping boundaries, I think. It really is. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I've had teachers say that, like, why won't the parents just put him on medicine? And I'm like, because they don't want to. So this is an Mm -hmm. issue between parents and physicians. And parents can let teachers know that they're hesitant or nervous about maybe side effects and would really like to try other things first and then let them know what they want to try and what they're doing. And like I said, if teachers see that you're putting in a lot of effort at home, then maybe that will help them put in more effort. And you can really see what the response to intervention is before moving to something like medication. If a teacher says that they'll help and then they drop the ball, see what you can do to help. So if it's that you need to send an email checking in every week because it's easier for them to just quickly reply than to generate an email Mm -hmm. themselves, or if you (laughs) need to come to the school (laughs) once a week to help clean the locker or desk. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure your child's Thank peers will love that. Yeah. It's an option, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> okay. Teachers who are most effective at helping with executive skills are ones who implement whole class routines that help with organization, planning, working memory, and time management. They build in homework routines. They build in end-of-day routines. They have classroom rules for behavior that they review regularly. And some teachers have better executive skills than others. So you might end up with a teacher who is disorganized and doesn't really set the kids up. And if you need help, you might need to look to someone else like an aide, a guidance counselor, a principal. We've talked about this. But you know, this is tough because at a lot of the schools I worked with, what? In each grade, you had three or four teachers, sometimes more, sometimes less in that grade. And it's kind of, you know, your kid ends up where they end up. And when teachers are too good, they end up getting overloaded. So I'm thinking of a particular first grade teacher who was 
fabulous. Like mm-hmm. the best you want. I would probably put my kid on a bus down to that school, even though it's far from where I live now, just to have her as a teacher, that type of teacher. And she was getting, I just was watching so burned out because in IEP meetings in kindergarten, I kept seeing administrators go, well, let's put him in her class. Let's put him in her. Mm-hmm. all the most challenging kids were getting sent to her. Yeah, I mean, and she knew it. And she was like, there's no motivation to be a really great teacher because they always give you the toughest class and you're always overworked. And it just... I don't know. I know. I know a second grade teacher who had that same problem. Like she would have been a great special ed teacher. And I think she even thought about it, but she was gen ed. And I just felt like they gave her all the kids who had behavioral problems. And it was like a zoo in there, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't her fault. Yeah. Okay, so then when are problems severe enough to get a 504 plan or an IEP? When the executive skill weaknesses are interfering with a child's ability to succeed in school, additional services would be warranted. So a 504 plan would cover accommodations in the general ed classroom for kids with disabilities. These would be things like extra testing time or being able to take breaks and move around or modifications to assignments. But then special education, like an IEP, would be for when a disability adverse affects educational performance and requires specialized instruction. But if the deficits are really just executive skills, the authors recommend RTI, which is an assessment and intervention model that begins with high quality instruction and behavioral supports in the regular classroom. And that can be tried before you move to a special education assessment. So instead of doing that full-blown assessment, you could start with teachers and parents meeting to discuss the problem, designing an intervention that might help, and then assessing progress over time to see how the child responds. So they go through some sample IEP goals for executive skills and suggest, again, just using a non-adversarial approach when you're working with a teacher, especially if you think an IEP is not being followed. But I'm not going to go into detail on those. If you're an SLP or a teacher working in the school, it's stuff you're really familiar with. If you're a parent, I would just recommend reading this book. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So moving on to our last chapter, chapter 24, what's ahead? So as children enter adolescence, things can get even more challenging. The authors suggest that you use natural or logical consequences, like if you don't do your homework during the week, then you'll have to make it up on the weekend and miss out on hanging out with your friends or make access to privileges like using the car, phone, video games, contingent on performance. Be willing to negotiate and make deals. That's very motivating for teens and work on positive communication skills. There's a great table on page 299 from the book ADHD in Adolescence that gives a list of communication strategies that you can use with teens to just better your communication with them at home, or we could use them in the classroom. (laughs) But examples are like, instead of criticizing too much, make sure you're always pointing out both the good and the bad. And then they say, if you followed the advice in this book, then you've involved your child heavily in the decision-making process and the development of interventions. So this should continue as they transition into early adulthood. You can take the role of collaborator and coach provide a framework that the child can use as their own and make sure to talk to children about struggles you had as you entered adulthood, talk about their strengths and weaknesses to help them find employment opportunities that would be a good fit. And don't just throw your child out into the wild, give them as many real life experiences as possible and let them fail at times so they can learn from mistakes. 
the ending to the book is kind of similar to the loving push. It's like, <laughs> how do we set kids up for success as they enter adulthood? It was like, okay, your kid's a, a teen or is going off to college and you've been working on these skills. Here's how you can keep it going as they move forward. Yeah. All right, Adrian. So that is the end of Smart But Scattered. I just wanted to take some time and go through what we thought of the book, what we're taking away from it. So why don't you start first? Well, I mean, this was not the point of the book, but honestly, I was really surprised to see the results of the quiz that we took about ourselves. <laughs> I think it helped me reframe things, right? So I was like, wow, some of these things that I've struggled with that don't impact my life horribly, but you know, I do need to kind of have strategies to get better at these things. But it helped me to see like, wow, a lot of these kids that we see on our caseloads have similar problems and worse. So it just kind of helped me to like empathize with these kids a little bit more sort of to see like, okay, if they struggle with this now, this is what it might look like in the future. So I really appreciated that takeaway. And additionally, I love the emphasis on the things that we already do as SLPs. So I don't know if I necessarily came away with a lot of new knowledge, but I like the way that they presented a lot of the things we already know and that we already do. Like, you know, chunking things or breaking things down into small steps or scaffolding or front loading. But I liked a lot of their, I thought that the case examples and like the case studies were where things really came alive because you're like, oh, I understand you might have to think creatively to put some of these things in place. But they had some great ideas that I had not thought of, just like what we were talking about in two episodes ago, where we were talking about the resource that you made for making puzzles for motivating to reach a goal. That was a really fresh take on motivation that I hadn't really thought of before. So I think that was what I liked. And I really, really loved the questionnaires. I think that's a really great way to pinpoint what you should be working on. I think it would be amazing to incorporate those questionnaires into IEPs informally and also for parents to have a better idea of what they can work on at home. And I also really liked the intervention plans because I felt like that was a really great way to see an example of how people targeted specific problems and that that could be a really wonderful framework to use for speech kiddos, for RSP teachers, for gen ed teachers, for admin. Like, I just felt like there were so many great ideas in here. And I think what I also loved so much was that this book really covered a huge age range, like from four all the way to 13 and really beyond. I just thought, wow, it's sometimes interesting to think of four-year-olds as struggling with executive functioning skills, but some of the examples that they gave, you're like, oh, I totally understand how maybe nipping that behavior in the bud when they're four can really impact their development instead of waiting until they're 10 or 11 and things are kind of out of control. Overall, I loved the book so much. There was a lot of fresh information, but also like a lot of, you know, if you're doing some of these things, you're on the right track. Yeah. I'll say that out of the books we've read so far this year, this one has been the funniest. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe it's just a little outdated. We had some good laughs, some of the stories of these kids and their parents and the plans they came. I mean, the cutout is coming to mind. Oh, yeah. The giant neon sign that girl put in under her covers. <laughs> <laughs> some of the strategies were so over the top. Yeah. And it, really gave us a good laugh. Yeah. 
great comedic fodder. Yes. So my key takeaways, I also really love those intervention plans. And I've mentioned it before, but if a parent asks me for advice on how to handle an issue at home, I feel like I have this really clear framework for identifying the problem, writing a goal for the behavior, describing who's going to teach it and how, and coming up with a plan that involves the child, providing really clear incentives and describing what would be acceptable. Like, are we looking for them to totally transform or would this be okay, you know, if the goal can't really be reached? So their intervention plans are so parent friendly. Obviously, Mm -hmm. this was written for parents, but just a really good way to tackle some of these problems. And I liked how they did a solo chapter on each skill so we can go back when we need it. So if we have a child who's constantly losing their homework, we can refresh by going to those chapters on working memory and organization and develop a plan with parents and teachers for how to work on it. And then obviously all those ready-made plans, that chapter where we went through 20 ready-made plans for the most common problems kids have were really amazing because they just would need to be tweaked a little bit for the kids we work with. Doing the work for us. And then... There were so many great ideas for point systems and incentives that I hadn't thought of before. So, I mean, yeah, the puzzle, (laughs) the puzzle resource is great. You know, you hear couples talking about paying off student loan debt. And there's a podcast I listened to where they had one of those giant fundraising thermometers (laughs) (laughs) on their wall to keep them motivated. Because when you're working towards something, it can be really amazing to see your progress and constantly be reminded of it. So you don't get off track when something comes up that maybe you an impulse purchase, you know. Yeah. And in this book, there were certainly things we're going to use in our speech rooms for managing emotions or anxiety or impulsive behavior or working on metacognition. You know, those are skills that we often work on in speech. So they have some great strategies in this book. But yeah, like you, I mean, this book was dense. It was a lot of reading. Yes. We chose a big one. You warned me before we chose it. You were like, I feel like we're reading a textbook. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever read a book like this cover to cover. Yeah. But we did have fun reading it and we got a lot out of it. I'm happy that we read it. Yeah. And I'll say it again. If you hung in there with us and you read the whole thing, (sighs) then cheers to you. (laughs) Pat yourself on the back. Yes. Send a picture of yourself with that book and we'll post it on our Instagram because I am impressed with anybody who read this whole thing. Yeah, totally. (laughs) All right. So we are excited to announce our book for April. We will be reading Social Emotional Learning and the Brain by Marilee Springer. It's not... (laughs) It's not thick. It's a little bit of a break after the last book. <laughs> it's a little lighter, but you know, we were just talking about it's it's about time we cover some of these social emotional skills. I think that this is really, really gonna be one where we're getting tons of helpful information we can use with our speech kids. One hundred percent. And the cover is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover, but unless it's cute, many can. <laughs> that is it. Thank you for listening. As we covered Smart But Scattered this month, we had a lot of fun. We learned a lot, and we can't wait to see you in April when we're covering social emotional learning and the brain. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash the SLP book club to join the discussion after each episode. 
Want even more of the SLP Book Club? We've made all the resources for this book, including chapter summaries and visuals, available for free on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP Book Club to download these great materials. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the slpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club. Find us on TikTok at the SLP Book Club. 